So uh, we are uh, coming to the end of chapter 2 and into the beginning of chapter 3. And last time we talked about uh, the, uh, that word uh, anti-Messiah and what that means and what it doesn't mean. And my guess is that maybe we're a little surprised to learn that this is the only place in the whole Bible where that word is used. Uh, and we tend to think it, it must be everywhere. Uh, you know, but, uh, but not, and we defined how it's used in this text, even though uh, the, uh, the terms that are used elsewhere, like man of lawlessness and, you know, uh, things of that, uh, that nature um, may be identified with, the, with one who is to come, but, but uh, John is uh, very much concerned with the spirit of the anti-Messiah, and uh, like we said last time, he defined it as anti-Messiah, uh, those who uh, were part of uh, this uh, community of believers uh, and who taught that Yeshua was not the Messiah. And the reason uh, is, is that he did not come, they did not believe that uh, he came in the flesh. And uh, we talked all about that last time, where you go back to the beginning of the book and even right here. Uh, and uh, this was a false teaching about the Messiah, and uh, it's very important, as we said last time, that we, uh, that at least in this, in this context, that we understand that uh, uh, it is very important to believe in uh, Yeshua as the enfleshment of God. That has a lot to do with his resurrection and the atonement for our sins, uh, and, uh, and, and so on, that this uh, term, the spirit of anti-Messiah, is not just uh, anybody who uh, does not believe in Yeshua, anti-Messiah, right? No, he's speaking about, those are people that need the Lord, right? Here he's talking about a specific situation, uh, and those that uh, were teaching wrong, uh, a wrong understanding of the Messiah, uh, and, uh, and they left. And he makes the point, uh, as we saw last time, that they were not of us, it, it, that uh, they left us because they were not, uh, they were not of us. Uh, and, um, and so now we want to continue here around the very end of chapter 2 and into the beginning of, uh, of chapter 3. So uh, he says here, I uh, let's see in verse 27 of chapter 2 he says as for you the anointing which you received from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you you abide in him so you know what he's saying here is is that the greatest safeguard against error is the Ruach, uh, and that's what he means by here, the anointing. And, uh, uh, and uh, like we said last week, when it says you have no need for anyone to teach you, doesn't obviously doesn't mean that there are no need for teachers or uh, anything like that, but uh, especially in what he was talking about, probably those people were saying that they were anointed, uh, they were anointed people. Uh, and, and so what he's saying, you have the assurance of the indwelling Ruach HaKodesh. You know that you are uh, right with God. 
uh, uh, by that uh, indwelling ruach. He abides in you. Okay? Uh, now, uh, um, so yes, there, there we go. Now he says, now as we continue, and now little children, now he's going, now when he says, and now little children, he's going to, he's going to now move on to a related topic, but uh, something a little bit different. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back, not shrink away from him in shame at his, uh, at his coming. Okay? So what he's doing here, he's encouraging them that they are right before God, and that the people that left were wrong, and that uh, the fact that they left is like a telltale sign uh, that their teaching was wrong, okay? And so he's encouraging them. And he wants them to, uh, uh, you know, to know this. And so he says, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him at, the, at shame at his coming. So this is important. He's saying to them uh, and, uh, and to us, that we need to have what you call what you might call an end time world view. In other words, not just um, uh, see uh, history as unfolding or things happening, and uh, 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 and that there's no end in sight. But just you know, uh, history is is unfolding. He's saying that whatever is taking place, these things that are happening to you. View them from the perspective that Yeshua is going to appear. Okay, uh, and uh, now, like we said last time, when he says it's the last hour, okay, he doesn't mean necessarily chronologically, like this is the last hour, but more in terms of a period of time. This is the last hour. Ever since Yeshua rose from the dead. Uh, it is, so to speak, the last hour that the, uh, the new age has begun in the resurrection of the Messiah. The Messiah has come, and we're living with that new reality that the Messiah has come. And so in that sense, it's the last hour. No matter uh, how long it may be, we live with that sense. And isn't it true that when you come to faith in Yeshua, there is this sense that while history continues to unfold, and we don't know uh, exactly when he's going to return, but that there is a sense that he's returning, and that there is a, 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 a feeling of uh, he's preparing me for something else, uh, and that the day will come when, uh, you know, when uh, Yeshua will appear. And so he's saying uh, that, look, uh, while there has been some difficulty in our midst, be encouraged, because this is not all that there is. Yeshua will indeed appear again, and be confident, and know that you belong to him. That's what he's saying to them. You're walking with him. You walk with him, and be confident I, 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 for when he appears, I, you know, be prepared, and don't be in shame. That's why it's always important for us to make sure we're right with the Lord. That's why it's always important for us to uh, confess our sins uh, and 
uh, in this case, uh, again, there had been people who had been teaching wrongly. And remember what we said, by the way, just want to reiterate that in case you weren't here. When uh, he says, we know they were, they were not of us because they left us, it didn't mean just simply, you know, you wouldn't want to apply that, well, someone leaves a, a congregation, there you go. <laughs> you know, he's talking about like leaving the faith. That's what he means when he says they were not of us. That's what he's referring to there. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, he is encouraging them, abide in him so that when he appears... Now, the word appears uh, is, uh, you know, is rather interesting. Uh, uh, it, it's an interesting word. It really means when he becomes visible, okay? Uh, it, it doesn't mean... It's, this is important, as well as even the word uh, uh, at his coming, which comes in a few more words uh, in this sentence. You notice that in verse 28? You have the phrase, when he appears, and then at his coming. Those are two different words that uh, have two different meanings for us, and I think they help us to understand this. Now, so when he appears, that word is used uh, a variety of times. Uh, It refers to Yeshua's coming, uh, in terms of his appearance as a human being. Uh, and that's kind of interesting because in this letter, if you go back uh, here, when he talks about we've seen, we have heard, uh, we have heard him, uh, and so on, uh, he is uh, talking about uh, the fact that uh, the, uh, the Messiah has uh, appeared. Uh, and he will once again appear. I like that word because he hasn't really left. See, you know how sometimes we uh, talk about the second coming uh, in the sense that when Yeshua was here in the flesh, at the end, he rose from the dead, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's gone. Now the Spirit of God is here, but Yeshua is not here. Uh, and, uh, and, and eventually, he'll come again, okay? Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because uh, there are uh, a variety um, of passages that talk about his presence uh, with us now or that we are where he is. You ever notice that? Uh, one in particular is in uh, the book of Colossians, okay? I... Um, in chapter 3, okay, you read there, If then you have been raised up with Messiah, we've been raised up with Messiah, keep seeking the things above where Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. When Messiah, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Then there's a passage like in Galatians chapter 2, at the end of the uh, second chapter. I have been crucified with Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So when we know the Lord, yes, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, but he, he dwells within us via the Ruach HaKodesh. Okay? But Yeshua does indeed uh, dwell with us. But the day will come when he'll 
appear again, uh, and we'll see him, and we'll see him, and we'll know it's him. This is important because it can be confusing for ourselves, and when we are trying to articulate this to people, when people say, have you ever heard this, right? Well, you know, uh, evidently, he, he didn't do what he was supposed to do, so now he's got to come again, you know? So uh, you read about, uh, in varieties of places, in the Tanakh, the coming of the Messiah, but uh, why does he have to come twice? Well, you know, I think a good way to uh, articulate that is to say, well, he came, and he's here, and this uh, Olam Haba, this future age, has begun today, and we experience the presence of Messiah in our midst and the intimacy with God that we have and all that that means, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and now, but the day will come when he will appear again. So he has come and he will appear again. But he has never actually left us. Yes, he's not visible, but he will appear again. And so here in uh, 1 John chapter 2, when he says, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence not shrink away at him in shame at his coming. Now here when it says at his coming, this is, uh, you know, it might be even better to say at his arrival, when he arrives. And, and, and it's, uh, you know, uh, this is that Greek word you might have seen. It's kind of a famous word, parousia, right? Uh, when he arrives and, uh, and it is... Um, the, the, the word can be used as like when, a, when, a, uh, when an important person arrives, when the moment arrives. And so when he appears and when he arrives. So it's speaking in terms of, anticipate, of anticipation. Be confident. Anticipate his arrival in his appearance. Uh, and that is indeed uh, what we look forward to. So he wants them to be confident in their knowledge that they know the Lord, that they're right with God, and what he's doing is he's encouraging them. And I think that, as we'll see as this continues, we can apply this to any situation we might be in uh, that might uh, be difficult. Certainly it was difficult. There were people in this congregation, uh, and they were teaching wrong, and they left, and so there's now a question were they right? Were they wrong? What's going on? And, and this is where John comes in and, and where he's saying now I'm, this whole letter is really about uh, encouraging them that Yeshua was a real person. That was the issue there. And encouraging them that they have the Ruach HaKodesh. He abides within them uh, and they should have confidence uh, 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 and be looking forward to Yeshua uh, manifesting himself, appearing, okay? Then he says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practice righteousness is born of God. He's not uh, questioning their righteousness here or challenging it. Uh, he's saying that uh, it, it's a word of confidence. You know that you are, you are righteous. You know the Lord. And the way you are conducting yourselves in righteousness is a telltale sign of confidence in the Lord. And that's something that we might even say uh, uh, to uh, one another, you know, that uh, when someone might come and say, you know, I don't know if, I, you know, we, uh, uh, um, do I really have it right about, do, do I really know the Lord? 
And, and someone might say to you, you know, a person who walks in righteousness knows the Lord. You're walking in righteousness. You know the Lord. It doesn't mean you don't want to take this as, okay, a person who does right things automatically knows. Anybody on earth who does right things knows the Lord. No, that's not what he's getting at. He's encouraging them in their walk with the Lord by the testimony of their righteousness. He is righteous, they are righteous, and we know it. And, and you know, it is a, uh, it does give us confidence. You know, when you make right choices and you do the right thing in your life, it does give us confidence in our, uh, in our knowledge of the Lord, in our walk with the Lord, that we know the Lord. Isn't it true that when you make right choices and you do right, you feel, we might not like to say this, we feel good about ourselves, right? Uh, now, there is a particular, perhaps, theology that might say, yeah, if you feel good about yourself, that means it's not of God. Because you need to only see yourself in horrible terms uh, to be godly and righteous. That is not what the Bible teaches, <laughs> okay? Now, so when you feel good about your, I'm going to suggest that when you feel good about yourself that you've made right choices, it's because inwardly, the Spirit of God is pleased. Yeshua dwelling in you is pleased. You know, well done. Maybe uh, um, uh, not in capitals because it's not your final arrival there, but you know, in, in small letters, well done, good and faithful servant. The Lord is pleased when we walk in righteousness, and there is like an assurance of that in our heart. And I would suggest that if you know the Lord and you're walking with God and you make right choices and you just feel good about that, that is the Lord. That's coming from God. And so he's encouraging them in that. He wants them to be confident in their walk with the Lord because he's going to return and he wants them to be confident. And that word, you know, confident means to be bold, to be free, to uh, come, uh, you know, in a new and living way, we might say, as it says in the book of Hebrews, you know? But when we have unconfessed sin or when we're, you know, when there's a great tumultuous things, we don't ha necessarily have that confidence, see? Uh, and so that's what he's saying here. Then he says, this, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. This is beginning at chapter 3. But really, uh, chapter 3 could have begun after verse 27. <laughs> Just a thought, okay? See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. See, he's encouraging them in all of this. They, uh, because they're, they're wondering about, again, they're wondering about these people who have this teaching. And he's saying, you have the anointing. You have the right teaching. Be confident in his appearing. You are righteous before him. And then he says, like, wow, behold, you know, I, unbelievably, when he says, see here, you know, it's, uh, see how great it is. Wow, I, how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. He's saying, get that. What an unbelievable treasure that is that we should be called children of God. That is an identity that we have. Now, if you grew up when I did, whenever I hear that phrase, children of God, all I can think of is like a cult. You know, you ever think, children of God. Remember that? Children of God. But children of God is a great, wonderful phrase. 
about our identity in the Lord. Now, you know, uh, depending on, um, we could say we're children of Abraham, we're uh, uh, sons or children of Israel, right? But here he says, well, we are children of God. And that speaks of certainly that, that intimacy we have because of the resurrection of Yeshua, the adoption uh, that we have, the son placement that we have. We, we're placed in this unique relationship with God called children of God. Uh, and I notice he is very excited uh, how great a love, how great, a, or, uh, in some translations I think it says that a love that he has loved us uh, lavishly perhaps, right? How great a love that the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. See, he's encouraging them. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. We are identified with him in such a way that the world does not recognize it. Our values are so different. The way we carry ourselves is so different. The way uh, you know, our priorities are so different. Wow, he says. Uh, and he's reminding them who they are. Now, we need to be reminded, uh, you know, certainly um, of, that, uh, of that as well. Uh, there is a uh, verse in John chapter 20. Uh, John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, I think it's there, in verse 17, where Yeshua makes this fantastic statement. Yep, okay. In verse, uh, 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 now Yeshua is risen from the dead here, right? And look what he says. Yeshua said to her, stop clinging to me, for I am not yet ascended to the Father. Okay? Uh, this is when she, Mary sees him. She and you'll notice the uh, verse before it, right? Yeshua said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher, Yeshua said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father. My God and your God. That is an amazing statement from Yeshua. He is saying that you who have embraced me, now that I am risen from the dead, you share this life with me this eternal life with me. My Father is your Father. My God is your God. Now, that was true before, you know, in terms of, uh, 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 you know, historical, uh, in, historical uh, truth. But now, this relationship, we have a different relationship with God when we come to know Yeshua. And so we can call Him Father like Yeshua calls Him Father. And you know, Yeshua had a very unique relationship with the Father. And he's saying now, you have a unique relationship with the Father. See? And we share his life. We are obviously not the Lord or anything like that. But unbelievably, in a very unique kind of way, we share that life. And that is this big wow. That's what he's talking about. Unbelievably, we share that life. And so we live forever in the Lord. 
And so that no matter what is happening to us in our lives, we abide in Him. And we look forward to that day, indeed, when He will appear, when He will indeed arrive. And let us not be so sad or so short-sighted to think that it's never going to happen. Because it is going to happen. And even if it's not in our lifetime, our assurance is, is that to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. To, is it to be present with the Lord. And remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians? By the time he gets to 2 Corinthians, he knows that he might not make it, you know? Uh, or that Yeshua might not return in his lifetime. And he, what does he say? He says, I can't decide whether it's better to go or to stay. I want to be with the Lord. He sees such a reality in, the, in being in the presence of God. But he says, for your sake, I need to stay. I'm not done yet. For your sake, I need to, say, to stay. That's what he says to them. That is how we are overcomers. That is how we uh, are sustained. And that's, what, that's how he is encouraging them. And this is how we need to be encouraged ourselves and to encourage others. Wow, what a great love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Isn't it sad that so many times we judge the goodness of God by the income, the job, the spouse, the, the this, the that, uh, whatever it might be? That's how I know that God is real or that He loves me. No! Wow! We are children of God. We belong to Him forever despite myself. He did this work. He initiated this in my slimy life. He initiated this. And now that I know him, my whole attitude can change toward God and toward myself and toward everything in this world. See? So I hope that we can get as excited about that as John does. It could say, behold, how great you know, this kind of reminds me of Isaiah chapter 12, right? Behold, God is my salvation. It's like, hey, this is great news, everybody. You know, uh, see what a great love God has poured out upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. And this is the reason why we always seem to be out of step with the world and with the culture. Let me encourage you, it's not that we're weird, you know? It's not that uh, we are, uh, we are uh, uh, you know, old school, narrow-minded, uh, whatever you want to, you know, whatever terminology uh, uh, people might, might use. But we're out of step because we are a heartbeat from God. We, can, we have this unique walk with Him. We're sharing His life. And so we view the world the way Yeshua viewed the world. See, and, uh, and so if you ever wondered, why is it that as a Messiah follower, I'm convicted about these things? This is why. This is why we grieve over sin. This is why uh, we uh, feel guilty when we sin and we need to confess it. This is why we have the worldview that we have. See? Then he says, now, beloved, now... He, we are children of God. He, he repeats it. This is, this is like so great what he's telling them. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared yet, as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, 
we shall be like him because we shall see him just uh, just as he is. I, I, this is a, a tremendous statement. I mean, uh, you have to pause and like, whoa. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him just as he is. We'll be like him. What does that mean? It doesn't mean we'll be little gods or something like that, you know, as some cults might teach or something, anything like that. But we will be indeed uh, uh, transformed. There are a number of different passages uh, to look at. We'll look at just a, a, a couple of them. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. Okay. Uh, if you start to go back to, uh, to um, verse uh, 6. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. For just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. What that means is, for, as it says in verse 10, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, the depths of God. That the day is going to come when things will be revealed to us in the presence of God that will be to our glory. In Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 8, Famous verses here, maybe you're familiar with them. In verse uh, 17, here, uh, verse 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, right? Right? That anointing that John talked about, this is Paul saying the same thing, that uh, the Spirit of God, the Ruach who dwells within us, bears witness inside of us that we are children of God. And if children... Heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Messiah, fellow heirs. My father is your father. My God is your God. Fellow heirs with Messiah. And he says, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. We have a tremendous future that when he appears, we will indeed be transformed. We will be glorified. In uh, the book of Philippians, chapter 3, in verse 21. Okay, there we go. 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. You know, sometimes when, he, when Paul writes, it's like a truckload of words, right? And like now you got to spend uh, another two hours like, you know, walking through all those words. So we're not going to walk all through those words. We're just going to notice... He says, we'll transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. 
You might say, well, what does that mean? You know what? I don't exactly know, but you know what? It's really great, okay? It's really great. It is a fantastic future. We need to remember that. Remember uh, uh, when we had our resurrection service, I said, we need to think about that resurrection every day. Think about that resurrection every day. Because you see, when we do, we realize that we're not the old self. I'm a new person, yes, with the flesh and with all the baggage and all that. But boy, that day is coming when that baggage is going. The day is coming when we will appear with him and we will see him as he is and we will be transformed. That is our future. Our future is not trying to figure out how to make world peace or trying to figure out uh, how to make this world a better place. Because you know what? According to the Bible, the world is not actually going to achieve by itself, no matter who the president is or who the prime minister is or whatever the treaty is. That sounds horrible. But you see, we're children of God. We have a different worldview. Actually, great things are going to happen to this world. Not only, by the way, are we going to be transformed, but so is the ground. So is the whole world going to be transformed. And so, you know, we need to be on the side of the Lord. We need to recognize our citizenship. That's a whole series right there. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our primary identity is, is, yes, image bearers of God. And we are now children of God. God placed us as children of his in a unique identity. And as a result of that, yes, we are image bearers in a whole new radical kind uh, of way. And we see the future as radically different. And that's why we need to live today, therefore, as radically different. See? And he's, he's encouraging them in this great way. You know, he's saying, remember who you are in the Lord. You are children of God. He repeats himself. And he's telling them about this great future that they will have, regardless of what's going on here. And then he says in verse 3, very, very important, this is not just about thinking about the end times, you know, and maybe feeling good about it. He says, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. As we live that way, with that kind of worldview, that purifies us. That is a unique way of walking with the Lord. What do we read, for example, you know, in um, it's couched in the passage actually about husbands and wives, which is kind of interesting. In Ephesians chapter 5, uh, he says here, here we go, uh, in verse 25, uh, we're not going to talk about husbands and wives here, but what, how he says this relates to the Lord, and this is very interesting. He says, husbands, love your wives. This is Messiah, also loved the, the congregation of believers and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed, cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is what Yeshua has done. This is how he has loved us. This is how we are children of God. That he might present to himself the body of Messiah, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. That is how we are the bride of Messiah. Another metaphor of our relationship with God. He is in the process 
of making us holy in all the things that happen in our lives as we uh, live our lives and as we grow in Him and, and all of that. He is preparing us. All of it is indeed preparing us that we might be presented in glory. Wow, what a great future that is. And then, you know, uh, we could look actually in the book of Revelation, uh, in the 19th chapter, yes, in the 19th chapter, in verse 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. We are being prepared for, remember that Seder, that great meal, right? We're being prepared for that time. And so that's what it means when I say having an eschatological or end-time worldview. That doesn't mean like looking for the Antichrist under every rock and that, uh, you know, the stars have lined up and so sell all your property and move out into the country because tomorrow or on Rosh Hashanah or when it's the harvest time in Israel or, you know, no one will know. There's something in the Bible that says that. Someplace in the Bible it says that, Right. So just always be ready. That's what it means to have that kind of worldview. Just always be ready. Because, boy, it's going to be great. And that means everything that's happening now is getting us ready. And, you know, sometimes when you're, you're like, getting ready for something. Uh, now, you know, I certainly am not a female. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, if you don't learn anything else today, right, okay. But I know that, uh, boy, if you're, like, getting ready for your wedding, like, for example, there is so much prep personal preparation of, you know, with the hair and the, the, you know, the makeup and the dress and the this and the that. And, you know, what is the color of the carpet of the reception place so that everything matches? This? But so much goes into that. Boy, notice, and that can be painful, Right? Uh, that sometimes it can be a little painful as we prepare because what God does when he prepares us, he leaves no stone unturned. He is dotting every I and crossing every T so that we might indeed be prepared for that day. You know, even in the Pirkei Avot, you know what that is? That is part of the Talmud. It's sort of like the book of Proverbs of the Talmud, okay? And it's so famous that it actually is... Uh, published by itself, oftentimes. Pirkei Avot, which, uh, you know, the sayings of the fathers is, is uh, a loose translation of, of all of that. And, but it's kind of like a book of Proverbs. Well, in there, it says that this life is like being in the vestibule of the world to come, you know? So it's like this life is all like getting, getting ready, like the, uh, is sort of like the doorway of the world to come. And in a way, that is what John says, except he's adding here and that God is getting us ready. You know, there's a Yiddish word. If you're Jewish, you'll know this word. He's getting us farputzed, right? He's getting us like all dressed up. He's getting us like all ready. 
And so, you know, that is like the big wow. We are children of God, and that is the for, that is forever. This is not forever. And so let us walk in confidence, knowing by the truth that the Ruach HaKodesh dwells within us, that no matter what surus we may be going through in our lives right now, problems that we may be going through in our lives right now, that it is nothing to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. That is what Paul means there in Romans. We need to be excited about that and really see that as an assurance in our lives. And, and that is why John repeats, uh, repeats this. Uh, we are children of God, children of God. Uh, and uh, uh, this was the promise of the fathers. This is what the new covenant is all about. This is what it means in Ephesians when, you know, we've been sun-placed. Sometimes, you know, we say it that way. We've been adopted, right? We become as sons. We have a new uh, identity in God. We are an heir. We belong to him, right? Right. Okay. All right. Uh, And you know what? I think we're going to stop right there Uh, because, boy, that's a great place to stop. Right, and of course, whether we're talking about the the uh, the Jewish world or the Roman Greek world, sonship is very important. Uh, being an heir is very important. Uh, it is a tremendous future which God has indeed given to us, and that's the big takeaway here uh, from what John is saying uh, to them. Be confident. Look forward to His appearing. Uh, and uh, may we be encouraged uh, by that word today. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, we thank you that you've not left us. We thank you, Lord, that while you are not visible right now, the day will come when you will be visible again. And we look forward for the arrival of your being visible again, Lord. And we, uh, we are so thankful, Lord, because when that day comes, aside from everything we've said, That's when all of our people are going to recognize you. Lord, today it is indeed a remnant, but the day will come when Israel will recognize him whom they have pierced, when he appears again. Lord, and that will be the uh, the time when the world will know, when there will be vindication of Yeshua and even of us as well. Lord, may we indeed have eyes to see and ears to hear and indeed look forward to that day. We pray in Yeshua's name.